Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Pick one thing, get amazing at it, write down exactly what you want your goals to be and what you want to accomplish that year and in the next five years, and then just do that. Don't try to do everything. Just do those specific things. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guests, Tim Vitale and Tim Vest. Tim Vitale is a returning guest on the best ever episode We didn't cover everything we wanted to the last time he was on, so we invited him back. And he also brought Tim Vest, who I want to do a solo podcast without being in Vitaly's shadows. So we'll dive into that as well. But gentlemen, welcome to the best ever real estate investing advice show. Glad to have you here. Oh, thanks for having us back. Tim, I want to pick up where we left off. Tim Vest, by all means, anytime you could chop Vitaly's knees off, please (laughs) entertain us. You guys are both awesome. We've met in person. Two just top-notch real estate investors, networkers that are out in our business right now. Tim Vitale, you are a rising star. You came out of nowhere and you took over the scene. Everybody knows who you are. Explain to me how that happened. Well, I don't think everybody knows who I am, but I appreciate the sentiment. Honestly, social media. One of the guys that I originally had latched onto when I was learning about multifamily was Tim Bratz. And he had liked to say, social media was the ninth wonder of the world. And if you use social media correctly and you are a producer of content and not a consumer of content, you will always put yourself in a one-to-many scenario. That's exactly what we're doing right now. So just by leveraging one-to-many as often as possible and as effectively as possible. That's how we've been able to grow our business together by getting access to more deals, more brokers, more investors, more everything, more relationships overall. That's ultimately what's been the number one key driver to us growing in this space. Tim, there's a lot of information out there on how to do social media correctly. And I've read things like post 12.01 PM every single day on LinkedIn, never edit your posts, all these different crazy things to manipulate algorithms of social media. What is your social media strategy? I don't do any of that crap. 
I think it's all a crock of it. And I'm sure there is validity to the algorithms. I know people are doing it successfully. Look at people like Ryan Pineda. He is just all over the place all the time. I can't get him out of my newsfeed. Those people are doing it successfully, but it's also a full-time job for them to do social media. What Tim and I have found to be effective is in our Facebook group, Making Moves in Multifamily, my wife is big on alliteration, so this is where this comes from, but we do Tim and Tim Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern time. It's easy for people to remember, and I personally don't do a whole lot of social media above and beyond that one show per week. What we've done is we've trained people to expect us at 10 a.m. every Tuesday. And you have consistent people that show up and they listen to our podcast. We do it on StreamYard, which is a live streaming podcast setup where people can comment and interact. And I really enjoy that part of it. I love being able to sit down. Tim and I usually basically have a business meeting and broadcast it to everybody. And then people are able to put comments in the sections and say, hey, well, what do you mean by this? And that level of engagement with your audience really helps build a better relationship than just force feeding information all the time that people can just scroll through and ignore. But if you get somebody engaged and they feel heard, if somebody feels heard, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember how you made them feel during this podcast that wasn't even directed at them, but they're going to feel heard. And that's going to gain that level of trust and just get people to continue to show up because in one way or another, it's almost like free coaching or mentorship advice. We just recently did a show and we we're talking about taxes and somebody had commented there like, what kind of forms should I be expecting if I've done this? And I was like, well, I'm not a CPA, but from my experience, this is what I think you should have. And he was like, thanks. That just saved me a ton of time and information and, and hassle and all that because I didn't know. So that person is going to come back every single week. They want to learn something new. And if they don't know, it gives them the opportunity to have their voice heard to ask a question. Other than your Tuesday company meeting that you stream live, are you diligent about any other times that you're posting or certain number of posts per week or platforms? Nope. If we close a deal or we sell a deal, anything major like that, we'll make a post on Facebook and LinkedIn and that kind of things. But other than that, it's just Tuesdays. It's this live stream. It's simple. Don't overcomplicate it. If you try to overwhelm yourself with this strict regimented schedule of postings and content, you're going to get burnt out. At least I would get burnt out. So this is what was achievable and it was consistent and repeatable for Tim and I. Yeah, good. So you're not social media stars. You're just real estate investors keeping it real on social That's media. It. Tim, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we just always love to be honest and transparent. We're talking about the wins. We're talking about the losses. We're talking about when we screwed up, what we learned, how we're fixing it. It's just keeping it real at the end of the day. He's not wrong because we've always kind of looked at it more of like we're operators first and whatever else second. And I think that's the way it's always gone. We didn't set out to do social media in order to build a community of a million people or anything like that. We more use social media to just anybody that looks us up or whatever, it gives some credence to the fact that we are in the space and we're doing things in the space. And then from there, it's just been our performance kind of speaking for itself, if you will. Tim Vest, do you ever feel like you need to reel Vitaly in or wish he would do something differently when it comes to social media? Like he said, he's not horribly active on social media. So the short answer to that is no. I'm never going to get on to anybody for just being out there and being honest and transparent. And that's pretty much what he does. So no, honestly. You miss your opportunity to chop his knees off. <laughs>
Yeah, you got to give me a better softball than that, you know. Ask. All right. And look, I get what you're saying because we see those people who post every single day, like clockwork. And when you read some of their posts, you could tell it was a bit of a struggle to get this particular post out just so they meet their yeah. deadline of getting the post out that day. Totally. You can tell a lot of chat GPT getting in there and it's a lot less genuine content when you're posting that frequently because unless you're a writer by trade i feel like it's not your strong suit and what tim had said we're operators first we do real estate we make money in real estate we just broadcast what we're doing so everybody else can see what it looks like gentlemen do you yeah, publish and, a newsletter no no why not gosh you are right that's a fair point because i'm a little bit different than tim i do post every day not to try to build a huge community but to your point just being transparent yeah i mean there's times i sit down where i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna write today <laughs> but then I remember an article or something I've seen that let me share that for a second. Cause there's value in sharing those things out there. I think. How long do those posts take you? What's the range to get them written? Yes. Oh, depends on how original they are, but original content, anywhere from 15, 20 minutes to commenting on an article, five to 10 minutes, something like that. Yeah. So you put your real thoughts into it, which is important, right? Cause then your personality comes through as yeah. well. Why not do a newsletter? It's a lot of work. <laughs> Am I lying? No, it's um, no. It's a ton it's of work. A ton of and work. I'm not a writer. When we covered that in the last podcast, right, was I come from accounting and finance world. Very recently, we were having a conversation with another guy that we partner with. And I was like, all of this sounds great. You're saying numbers and things, but can you put it into an Excel file so I can understand what you're saying? I'm not the best with word comprehension and reading comprehension, but you show me some numbers. I can figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. And just to pile on that, I do like to write. So I would like to do something like that. I just don't have time for it because we send investor updates out. We have 20 something plus offerings going on at any given time. And then I think we tend to focus our time more on the group, right? The Make and Moves community. And if we have content to share, if we have things we want to share, we go there with it rather than sending out just a broad newsletter. Yeah. I think people take people's attention for granted. I used to get a great colleague of ours who's killing it. She would send out a daily newsletter and I had to unsubscribe. I mean, that's just clogging up my inbox and you can't have that much good content to be taking up my inbox every single day. So I do a newsletter maybe a couple times a year, but it takes me days to write and edit and rewrite because mm -hmm. if I'm taking up thousands of people's time collectively, that's hundreds of hours of people's time that I'm using, it better be good. It better be worth their time. So yeah, good for you guys. We're not just jumping on the bandwagon and doing a newsletter because everyone else is. When you see others on social media, what do you see people doing wrong? Oh, that's a good question. I got I one. Only sharing the wins. Oh that's yeah. For two reasons, right? For me, when I see folks who are only talking about the positive, I'm like, I don't believe it. First of all, it can't all be positive. I've been doing this too long. It can't all be positive. And then two, I think there's so much to learn about the losses. I want to learn from the losses. I hope you learn from my losses and don't make the same mistake. I think it's a community and we should be able to share the good and the bad because I think everybody benefits from both. And then it just makes it more believable. Yeah, that drives me up a wall. <laughs> just a bunch of wins. Even if you don't share losses, share some lessons learned. That's a good way to put yeah. that for sure. Yeah. What yeah, about you, Tim? Sure. What's something that annoys you on social media and that's a turnoff? 
when I see people post ads and they're like boosted ads or paid for ads and things like that, it just kind of discredits it in my mind. Because let me preface that with it's in my mind, right? My opinion here is that we produce and we make social media content because we love it. We love helping people. We love providing values to others. We love sharing our wins and our losses to help educate others. When you have a boosted ad, it just screams to me that you're not in it for adding value to the community. You're in it for whatever kind of paycheck you can get out of it. That's a great point. A question out of curiosity for you two, when you look in your inbox and you see a formatted newsletter, multiple fonts, colors, all types of different links that you can click on, do you pay less attention to that? I'm more of a bullet point kind of guy. So the one newsletter that I actually do read on an almost a daily basis is the commercial real estate newsletter. I couldn't even tell you what it is, but I don't look at any of the photos. I look at some of the graphs, but I go right to the bullet points. What happened? Why? What's to learn from? I don't want to sit there and read a book about what happened and what's going on. Just tell me what I need to know so I can move on with my life. How about you, Tim? Do you tend to pay less attention to those neatly formatted marketing emails? I'm kind of like a just give it to me like it is kind of guy. So I don't really pay attention to like pretty pictures and colors and things like that. I'm probably saying a little bit of the same what Vitaly said here. Just give me the data. Give me the information. That's what I'm mostly interested in. Now that I think about it, the couple of newsletters that I do read when they hit my inbox are typically straight and to the point. If I start to read one and I see there's a lot of fluff in there or things like that, and my ADD kicks in and I'm, I tune out. So <laughs> I probably don't open it the next time. Yeah. In terms of underwriting, Tim Vitelli, that's your background. What do people miss when they're underwriting deals the most? Oh, the number one thing that I see people miss the most is they overestimate what their average income is going to be for year one. So what does that mean? A lot of people like to do value add strategies. They're buying properties with low income. And then they say their pro forma rents are two, $300 higher. And I'm not saying that you couldn't turn all of those units and get them all up to market rent in a 12-month period. But the average over the 12-month period is not going to be what your pro forma rent is. And there's a lot of calculators out there that they like to just say, okay, well, if average rent is 1000 I'm going to take it multiplied by the units and multiply it by the months, and that's going to be my year one income. That's not true because you're starting month one is going to have your low income from when you took over the property. And month 12 is going to have higher income from when you got all the rents up to market value. So that's kind of an extreme example. Most people underwrite for a two-year turnaround time on most projects, but every single time I always see people overestimating what they can actually do in year one income because their averages are just not low enough taking into consideration where the property was when they took it over to where it could be in 12 months. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't just say, this is what Tim does that frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, so I feel, I feel uh, better. Hard about coding numbers for Tim Vest. He hard codes stuff. And then I can tell something's not right. And he doesn't remember what he changed. And I have to sit there and go through this file and find whatever hard coding was done. You guys that, are that's true. a crazy, wild, <laughs> dynamic team. Explain to me the underwriting process when you find a deal who underwrites it first? Tim underwrites it in his head in 30 seconds because he likes to do the, okay, what's the price per door? What's the pro forma rent? What's the current rent? All right, so what's our all-in cost? And then that's that, right? And it doesn't 
pass the sniff test. And then sometimes he'll get some rough numbers in there. There's one deal specifically I worked on yesterday. He was like, okay, well, here's what we can get the income to, which is great. And then he said, for expenses, ah, we're just going to put $6,000 a unit. I was like, that doesn't really work for me because I need it to be more broken down. So yeah. if a deal passes the sniff test and it's something that we think we might actually go to, then I'll actually take a look at it. I'll break everything down by the individual line items and do the spreads and the averages. And I go into it for a couple of hours and he'll do an underwriting session in five, 10 minutes. Yeah, he'll get my file and he'll go, oh, I see taxes, insurance. And then you got this number down here. It's like 4,500 a door. And I'm like, yeah, to get it up to 6,000 a door. If we can't operate for 6,000 a door, I'm not buying it. That kind of thing. And he's like, I want it broken down. Yeah, I need more detail. I have to know what goes into that. So you find a great deal, Tim, you underwrite it. And then Vitaly is just a pain in the ass that blows right. everything up. But a necessary one. so annoyed. A necessary I'm one just match. sitting here like, can I go buy it, please? Come on. <laughs> now to dive into those dynamics, Tim, I get it. You're the realist. Are you more super realistic in underwriting or are you a little bit more pessimistic to pad the numbers a little bit in terms of being conservative? Oh, I'm glad that you said it that way because there's a difference between being accurate and being conservative. There's also a difference between being too conservative. And we were talking about issues that we see before. This is something I see all the time. Somebody's like, okay, well, my pro forma rents, I got them from a manager, whatever. I took $75 off per unit in order to be conservative. I was like, no, what you did was you priced yourself out of even getting the LOI accepted because on a hundred unit property, if you're not including $75 a unit in income, your pro forma numbers are going to be entirely different than somebody else's. So there is a very distinct line where I like to be accurate with my rents. For most people, if you're not buying in a market that you're an expert in, you need to become an expert in it. So markets that we're buying stuff in, we know exactly what we can get for rent. I might back it off by five or 10 bucks to kind of give us a little bit of a margin of error there. But for all intents and purposes, I try to be as accurate as possible with the income numbers. Where I do like to add some padding and some fluff is the expenses, because as everybody that's listening to the show has seen, taxes and insurance over the last two years have just gone insane. And I'm not going to lie, there's deals that are, I didn't underwrite that our insurance cost was going to go up 300%. That's just not normal. But now that I've been through that, I take a different look at how am I increasing my expenses on each line item year over year versus just assuming that it's just going to be a two or three or four or 5% increase across the board. Vitaly, does it take you the same amount of time to underwrite a 40 unit property versus a 200 unit property? Oh yeah. The only thing that would take more time is if you have more unit splits. If it's a hundred one beds and a hundred two beds, that's easy. It doesn't take any difference, right? But if you have a combination of like a portfolio of properties where you got to go through all of the different portfolios, all the income statements and rent rolls for each property individually. That takes significantly more time. But for an apples to apples comparison, if it's 40 units or 500 units and it's all on the same property, then the time is about the same. And Tim Vest, how long does it take him to underwrite a deal? After he corrects my mistakes, probably an hour. <laughs> I give him an hour. That's probably to, fair. About an yeah. hour. Yeah. To, to where to I get, feel comfortable to right. have a conversation about it. Because there's always going to be questions. And after about an hour of looking at the numbers, I've pretty much thought about every question that somebody could throw at me and have an answer to it already. Yeah. I'd say within an hour, we're to a point where we could consider making an offer on something. Mm -hmm. When you're underwriting, 
Do you always have in the back of your mind questions that a lender would ask? Always. There's three people in my life that I'm constantly asking, what would they say? And that is the bank, those are the investors, and Tim Vest. So I know what Tim Vest is going to ask me. So I already have those things canned. Like, yeah, you ask the same question every single time. So I know what I'm looking for. But banks and lenders and investors, investors more specifically than anybody, they will really dive into return percentages, pro formas. How did you get those numbers? What do you own in the area? How are you backing up these numbers? Having answers to all of those questions is definitely at the forefront of my mind when I'm underwriting any deal. And all of the deals that you guys have underwritten, what smoking guns have you found where a good deal turned out to be one that you had to walk away from or something that didn't look like a great deal? You found something that made it into a home run. Ooh, Tim, you want to take that? Yeah, but not just in the underwriting. You mean after we've done the underwriting and before Yeah, let's say there was a deal that something. you were going to walk away from and all of a sudden, is there something that you found that made it into a great deal? I'll give you two. One of the very first deals Tim and I ever did together, it was a straight up apartment deal, but it came with some extra land. And we were like, but wait a minute, we could do something with the land. Originally, we were like, I don't think this works. But then Tim kind of got his hands on it. I had this idea in my head, kind of like he talked about before. I had this idea in my head, but I couldn't quite get it on paper. And Tim took it. And by the time he was done with the two things that I was talking about, he's like, oh yeah, this is a good deal. And it's turned out to be a good deal. One other place that I would say as well is when we started realizing like some of the more affordable properties where you could put section eight rents and things like that, we call them voucher overhangs. When we first started looking at those, we're like, man, I don't think these work. But then you start to realize the voucher overhang piece and those start to really add up. So those are some places where we were not sure this is a deal. By the time we got through the underwriting, we're like, oh, this is a deal. This is a good one. Let's go get it. How about on the flip side, were there deals that you guys were full, ready to close, move forward, and then you find a smoking gun where you had to walk away? Tim, how about the one that was sliding down to the valley? It's exactly <laughs> the one I was thinking about. Yeah. How many structures with that? It was 11 it was like or 12 Almost buildings. 300 units, so it was at yeah. least 10 buildings. So it was like a creek at the bottom and they were sitting on each side of the creek. And we were like, something's going on here. We better get an engineer out here. And an engineer came and was like, yeah, all these buildings are sliding down to the creek. We we're like, we should probably walk away from this one. <laughs> yeah, that deal we definitely walked away from. Yeah. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Do you want to do bigger and better commercial real estate deals? Take your real estate capital raising efforts to new heights with syndicationattorneys.com. With more than 20 years of real estate and investing experience, syndicationattorneys.com goes beyond just creating legal documents. They educate you on ethical and legal capital raising strategies. Plus, 
They offer a host of free resources, including their best-selling capital raising books, numerous articles, and their popular podcast, Raise Private Money Legally. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more, more deals, bigger deals, and better deals. So if you want attorneys with premier experience helping syndicators and fund managers raise capital, go to syndicationattorneys.com today to schedule an appointment and unlock your maximum capital raising potential today at syndicationattorneys.com. This offer is not available to Florida residents. What is your underwriting process at a high level? You get the deal, you have as much information as they're willing to provide. Where do you start with underwriting? Oh, this is good. I just talked about this on how I do underwriting classes and things like that. We dove into this extensively this week. There's two different answers to that. One is if you're dealing with a broker that you already have an amazing relationship with, or even a seller that you have an amazing relationship with, that conversation is going to look a little different because it's kind of the old handshake method. But a lot of people don't have those relationships yet. So I'm going to target this towards the newer investor that's trying to establish a relationship with a new broker. And the process that I would do in that instance is you have to take the deal as it's written by the broker, underwrite it, and then call the broker and have a discussion about it. Because what you're ultimately trying to do is the book behind me is uh, Never Split the Difference, is you are trying to get the selling broker on your side, convince them you're on your side. So you approach it with logic and reason, and you're ultimately trying to get the broker to say that's right or yes, that's correct, or some kind of level setting to let you guys know that you're on the same page. So my typical process with that would be you take all of the information, you review the income, the expenses, the cap rate, the cap X, and all of the metrics of the deal. Then call them and talk to them. Okay, well, here are my assumptions. This is what, oh, and debt, obviously debt. So here are my assumptions on debt. Here are my assumptions on income and expenses for each one of these years. Here's what I think I can get the property to in five years. I could exit it at this cap rate and I might be able to sell it for this amount. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is get the broker to say, yeah, I agree with everything that you said there. Your income is correct. Your expenses are correct. Your exit cap rate is correct. Your price per door on the exit is correct. And then ultimately you bring them back to, okay, well, if all of that is correct, how do I buy this deal if you're asking me today my year five sale price? And then you start to get them to solve your problem because you've already level set it with them. And if you can get them to solve your problem, they're on your side now. And I know that they work for the seller. Let's disclose that. But they are starting to realize that from a buying perspective, this doesn't really make any sense. And I always like to say that underwriting multifamily deals or real estate deals is like algebra. But in our world, instead of solving for X in algebra, we're solving for investor returns. And everything can go into this formula in order to get to your investor returns. And ultimately, the last lever that you can pull is either sale price or including some kind of seller financing or things like that. So if you can get the broker on your page and on your side, you go through all the assumptions. They agree all your assumptions are correct. The only thing that's left is say, okay, well, I can offer you two prices. Here's my cash price. Here are my investor expectations. This is what I need to buy it for. You agree all my assumptions are correct. Well, this is what it needs to be. Or if you want to do some level of seller financing, I can pay this with these terms. And then I still can meet my investor expectations with changing the debt structure and the deal around a little bit. You two have a very complementary partnership. If you took on a third partner, what qualities should they have? Oh, we're big fans of the culture index survey. And Tim and I both know that we have, I forget what the 
the D trait. What is more, the D we trait? We need more D. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like yeah, the it's, organizational it's completionist trait. Like we are very low D, which means that we will do something in order to get it done, and we'll get it eighty percent of the way there, and it'll be good enough. But we need somebody that's going to come in and say, okay, I'm going to take it from 80% to 100%. Because 80% of the work is in that 20% of the job. And we just are so focused on other things and it's not our natural skill sets. So that we need somebody that's going to come in and fill that side of the business. Yeah, we would bring in a very operations heavy detail guy. Yeah. You need an integrator. Yeah. If you're going off the EOS traction stuff, yeah, an integrator. You know, you're probably going to get thousands of resumes now. (laughs) I want to join the Tim and Tim team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Prerequisite, your name needs to be Tim. (laughs) Now, that was one of my questions I wanted to ask. When is it annoying to have a partner with the same name and when is it beneficial? Well, Uh, it's beneficial because yesterday, for example, I got a call from a tax assessor. We're appealing the taxes on one of the properties. Well, they called And they said, hey, Tim, this is blah, blah, blah. And I knew Tim Vest was actually the one handling it. So I said, here, you call. And he called. He said, hey, I'm Tim. He didn't know the difference between which Tim he called. So you get to pass the buck. That's cool. When is it annoying? I don't really know. I guess when Ash asks a question and he doesn't say Tim Vest or Tim Vitale, he just says Tim. That works. We used to have a business partner that would be like Tim. And we're both like, and then he was like TV. And I'm like, it's just a crazy dynamic. I love it. You guys have some commercial property as well, right? Non-residential commercial? Yep. What do you have? We got some restaurant spaces and we have a, it's a retail office flex warehouse space as well. All of those are in Columbia. Do you have the same level, same diligence of underwriting for non-residential as you do residential? Absolutely. Underwriting triple net deals is so much easier than doing multifamily deals because I can just do it on a calculator. When I do an apartment complex, I need this whole big Excel spreadsheet, which I like to an extent, but you don't need it in the triple net world. Will you only invest in triple net or will you do value add gross leases? We've done value add triple net. We've gotten a property and we did some renovations. We're in the process of putting a new tenant in. in. So we're in that process. They're actually touring the property today. We just got off the phone with them. They actually called us from the Crexy listing. So we do value add triple net. I love it. It's super easy to underwrite. If you understand the concept of how real estate deals are underwritten, you can underwrite an apartment complex, a self-storage complex, triple net. It doesn't matter. It's income and expenses and math at the end of the day. As a percentage return, are your non-residential properties higher than multifamily? We haven't sold any of the triple net stuff yet, so I can't answer that. How about the cash on cash returns? Well, one of the ones that we're talking about is a single tenant. So the cash on cash is non-existent. So I'd say the multifamily is probably better at this point. Got it. Good, because I don't want to compete with you two. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of building a community, Tim Vitale, when we first met, you talked about this crazy event that you do for your mastermind where you rent out a bunch of race cars and everyone goes down to the Porsche Speedway in Atlanta and you host a, it's a crazy, awesome idea. Tell me about why you're building a community, how you started building it and where you're at now, please. Man, that event was the highlight of my year last year, I'd have to say, because I absolutely loved it. I thrive in that environment. And I love the idea of being able to bring people together in a small room environment and allow them the opportunity to meet with each other. Because Tim and Tim know a lot of people. And we know a lot of people could work really well with each other. 
but it's not my job to introduce all of you all the time. But if you put yourself in a room that Tim and Tim are going to be at, and all of Tim and Tim's friends and associates and business partners are going to be there, I guarantee you're probably going to come out of it with some kind of good relationship. And I can think of a handful of amazing partnerships that came out of that event. So the whole point of doing that was because one of the first events that I had ever gone to, Tim Bratz had put together an event at his mountain house in Asheville, and there was only like 20 of us there. And I was like, this is the best ever event because I was able to come out of that with amazing relationships and inspirational relationships. And I wanted to be that person that put that opportunity to bring people together because I still talk to those same people two and a half years later. I still talk with them on a frequent basis. So the whole idea behind the Porsche event was, let's go do something awesome. Let's learn cool things from amazing speakers and amazing people that are going to be in the room. But then let's go do a bucket list adventure. So Tim and I are both part of GoBundance. So I got the inspiration from Tim Bratz to do the small room mastermind event. And then I got the life-changing, the bucket list adventure item from GoBundance. And I did it myself because I was like, this is something that I want to do. And I haven't seen everybody else do it before. So we picked the Porsche driving experience down in Atlanta. We booked a room that was overlooking the racetrack. And then the first part of the morning, we had breakfast. And then we had a couple of people come up and talk. I think it was only for three hours. And then it was networking during lunch. And then for four hours, we went and drove Porsche 911s and GT4s and all this other kind of stuff, Caymans and SUVs. We drove them all on the racetrack and they taught us how to drift and how to do donuts and how to launch them and how to go around the track with the G-forces and all this other kind of stuff. And it was a life-changing event. How many times can people say that they drove 140 miles an hour down a racetrack? I got car sick while driving and I always drive because I get car sick. I was like, this is revelationary to me is that I just got car sick from driving a car. It was that wild. And I can tell you the conversations that were had at that event and then after that event at the dinner that we did were just insane because people, the adrenaline was pumping and everyone was excited and they thought it was such a good time. When you have that level of connection with people, you're going to make great relationships with each other because it's a memorable experience that you guys both went through together at the same time. Yeah, that's incredible. Are you going to do that again or are you going to do something different this year? We wanted to do it this year, but I got a baby on the way. So that kind of put a wrench in things, but we would like to do it for hopefully maybe spring or summer of next year because we didn't do it in 2023. In terms of this community, how did you build it? How did you start it? Consistency, just showing up. Everyone says the first time you do anything, it's going to suck. So the first time I went on live streaming, it was awful. And I literally was like on my phone and I did this live stream and I was like, I know this is going to be awful, but I got to get this out of the way just so I can move forward. And then it was consistency and I showed up every single week and I was learning and I was growing and I was telling people what I was doing and I was just doing literally what we do today consistently for a long period of time. And I think the group is just shy of 5,000 members now, which I don't care if it's 100,000 members or if it's 1,000 members. If our group in some way, shape, or form can impact or change somebody's life for the better, it's a success. And that's all I look at it for. And then you guys have a mastermind as well, right? Where you mentor others. Yeah. Is that a structured coaching program or is it just being part of the group? We have a structured coaching program where I like to say that there's three levels of mentors. You have your coach and your mentor that's going to teach you the basics. That's going to hold your hand and show you how things are done and this, this, that, and the other thing, right? And then you have your level two 
mentors that are, okay, well, now that you know the basics, let me help you implement them and teach you the theory and concept behind it. And then level three coaches are, okay, well, now you clearly are successful in your own business, but you want to go from a $10 million business to a $100 million business. I'm going to help you learn and think and grow that way. So Tim and I like to be in that two and three coach range. And I would say our group is targeted towards the level two mentor. We don't teach people what the basics are, but I do want to talk about theory, concept, and application, because those are the things that you're going to be able to implement into your everyday conversations with brokers and investors and underwriting your deals and all that kind of stuff. That's going to make an impact in how you're acquiring deals. And I don't want to hold your hand and teach you all the things that you could learn on YouTube. That's not what you pay me for. You would pay us for how are you going to use this information effectively so that you can find success and not just be spinning your wheels and getting burnt out. Tim Vest, what is your vision for the future of your company? <laughs> That's a great question. Make money. <laughs> yeah, make money. No, seriously, it would actually be to scale the business. Obviously, to scale the business, add more properties to the portfolio add more properties to our property management business, five property management. And then at the same time, start to link more into the Making Moves community as well. Because part of the reason Tim and I do these things is one for ourselves, for a legacy with our families. You know, Tim's kind of expanding his family in the process now and being able to leave something there, create a certain lifestyle for our families. But then at the same time, to be able to give back to that Making Moves community, I think if you talk to some of the folks in there, what they'll tell you is when they come in, Tim and I have been very inclusive in including them in deals, giving them deals, introducing them to people in the community that can compliment them in the same way Tim and I compliment each other. So if I was to say what my vision is in the future for that is it's to scale those two things, to scale our portfolio and then to scale the Make and Moves community so that we can help other people get to the same place where we are or where we're headed. Yeah, I really wish I was able to instigate you more to pick on Vitaly, but this was an awesome interview. What's a question that you wish that I asked? What's the most annoying thing about me that Vitaly finds, right? There you go. You want <laughs> If you're going to instigate, man, you got to ask go. things like that. I thought you were, this is supposed to be the other way around, man. What's the oh, most annoying thing? Oh, it will be. We'll, we'll do it both ways. Uh, all right, here goes. The most annoying thing that Tim Vest does is Bring answer on. emails on our stream yard. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I do that. I do that. Because he's sitting here, you can hear him clacking away, looking over here, and I'm sitting here talking, and I'm like, Tim, pay attention. <laughs> That's that ADD, right? What? Did you, did you say you, something? That's the ADD, yeah. <laughs> uh, multitasking. Yep. Did you say something? <laughs> what about yeah. Vitaly? What's the most annoying thing he does? He gets on to me about answering emails and getting business done while we're on this stream yard thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tim and Tim at 10. I'm trying to do deals over here, man. <laughs> Are you guys both ADD, squirrels, or just multiple ideas and thoughts going through your head all the time? I'll go. <laughs> well, I know you are. I, hell yeah, I am. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why having a partner like Tim is so helpful for me is I will 100% look at a shiny object. I will get something and be like, where's the next one? Where's the next one? So I'm, I'm a little bit of a combo. I'm a little ADD, and then I'm also a little addictive in terms of more is never enough. Tim and I'll sit down and we're going we're gonna to do like four deals next year. And the next thing you know, I'm eight deals in. And he's like, dude, what happened to four deals next year? Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm the complete opposite. I write down my goals and I know exactly what I want. And that helps me with my decision-making process is 
does this action get me closer to my goal? Yes, do it. No, don't do it. I attribute a lot of my success to being able to identify what is going to help me achieve my goals and what is not going to, because there's so many people out there that just get the shiny object syndrome and they don't stay on the straight and arrow and they can get lost in going down all these different avenues of opportunity. And my biggest advice to people is pick one thing, get amazing at it, write down exactly what you want your goals to be and what you want to accomplish that year and in the next five years. And then just do that. Don't try to do everything. Just do those specific things. And clearly you can see why Tim and I are great partners because he's more of the, yeah, let's go, 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 go. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what we said we were going to do. Let's make sure we focus and stay in this lane first. If something comes up and it's not in this lane, we can talk about it. But my primary focus that I'm going to say yes to hundred percent of the time is in this lane that gets us to where we said we wanted to be. Yeah. You know, what's annoying about the two of you is both of your names are Tim V. So I can't even be like, all right, Tim V. I gotta say, Tim yeah. Vest, Tim Vitali. That's why we go by his last name. I don't want to. I don't want to just call you Vitali or Vest. We try to be a little bit respectful. You could. <laughs> you're welcome to come up with some really derogatory nickname for both of us as well. well That's fine. Listen, when we hang out in person, I'll have plenty of nicknames. But this is a. <laughs> My wife has a list you can choose from. So <laughs> this is a kid-friendly show. The two of you guys, do you guys have assistants? No, Tim Vest does. Why don't I you, do. Vitali? Tim Vitali. <sighs> I don't know. Good yeah, question. why don't you, Tim Vitelli? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> Aren't there things that you should be offloading that you don't? Well, we yes. brought in in-house accounting into our management company, and that's me delegating a lot of stuff. So I think when we get more accounting folks and when we get an asset manager, an operations manager, then I can delegate more stuff. But I don't have a lot of things in my personal life that I would need transactional assistance with. Allow me to push back for a second. Let's look at both your professional and personal life. If you did a time audit where you set a 55-minute timer on your phone, a recurring timer, and after those 55 minutes, you took the next five minutes to write down what you did those previous 55 minutes. If you did that for two days, waited a week, looked at it, do you think there's a lot of tasks that you could have offloaded? I don't know because there's so many things that are not transactional. They are not just repeated tasks. They take mental processing and decision-making. And that's where I want to be is in the mental process and decision-making. I don't want to be doing repetitive things, but one thing, something that we have to do every year is K-1s. That's a repetitive thing that I hate doing, but I'm not going to hire an assistant to do that once a year. But when we hire an operations manager, here, you do all that kind of stuff. Tim yeah, Vest, what do you think I, I about think, his answer? <laughs> I'm not going to pick on him, even though you want me to. <laughs> what I would say is you're 100% right, Ash. If I sat down for 55 minutes, and I'll add one piece of that. Let's say in that 55 minutes, I say, I want to accomplish this. And then I do a time audit on that. I know that a good portion of that 55 minutes will me getting distracted and off track of what I'm actually trying to accomplish. Because I get distracted all the time. My phone's blowing up. I get things come in. There's a lot of things that I could hand off email, for example. Hey, here you go. Here's my list of the top 10 people. Everything else put in a bucket and I'll get to it. If these people contact me, let me know and make sure I get back to them. And then the one thing that I will say, highly successful people, you take the Musks of the world and the Gates and you name it, those guys. What you'll see is one of the things you hear about them is those guys go from meeting to meeting to meeting. And when they walk into a meeting, they're immediately on point with whatever that topic is. They're ready to go. 
And it's because they've tuned out all the other noise. They're literally maximizing their mental capacity, their brain space for those things. Even down to the point where what's the joke about Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs is they always wear the same thing because that's a decision they won't remove from their lives down to that level. So I look at them and I'm, if that's the level they're performing at and those are the things they do to get there, then I could probably use a little bit of that myself. So that's a long answer to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. I need to remove more things from my plate. Yeah, that's a great example. Gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. You guys are an amazing team. You put out great content. You're at the top of your game with multifamily investing. Please tell the best ever listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can find out more about the Making Moves community. Best way is to join the Making Moves in Multifamily Facebook group. If you search it, you'll find us in there. You can post and message us and we're active in that group. If you need anything, let us know. Again, thank you very much. I know your events are very limited. I'd love to just hang out with you guys and your group. What you've built is phenomenal. So again, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Ash. Always a pleasure. Super fun to do another backup episode with you. And when we do our Porsche event again, you know, we're going to have you come talk about investing beyond multifamily. <laughs> awesome. Tim and Tim, thank you both again. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.